In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. In a very dark season of my my life, my bride's life, early 2020, we kind of had some dreams, at least in the immediate term, kind of evaporate. Had some things that felt a little bit uh, like uh, change of direction, caught a little bit flat-footed, and we found ourselves really in a in a place of of kind of sadness and and even some pain and hurt and confusion. Uh, the McGanns, Dan and Kelly, if you were with us in October, our last month at the old space, you might have been here the Sunday that he preached for us. He's a pastor in Nelson County, Virginia. Uh, he preaches at a church that supports us financially. I had the opportunity to preach there in, in December. Dan and his wife, Kelly, and their youngest son, Aiden, came all the way up from Nelson County just on a whim. He left work early, drove up. They sat with us for a couple of days, and they wept with us and laughed with us, and, and kind of we traded war stories together. And it was a very precious time for us. And right before they left, the very last thing they did before they got in the car, where they sat Sarah Beth and me and our kids down on this big chair we have in our living room, and, and Dan and Kelly laid hands on us, and they prayed for us right then and there. And I'll never forget it. I mean, I just absolutely will never forget it, unless I have Alzheimer's or something like that. I'm not going to forget that moment, because prayer is a powerful thing. And in fact, James, in his letter, says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So there's power in prayer. Now, it, it is a seemingly mystical thing at times. You don't always kind of see prayers being answered in immediate sense or right away. Sometimes that does happen, though. There's plenty of stories of that happening. But oftentimes, the work that is happening, the, the work of prayer, the great power of prayer is its transformation of us, as we are the people who are praying. And in praying, we're submitting our lives to God over and over again as we pray and pray and pray. Submitting ourselves to his plans, remembering the gospel. You see, the work of prayer is a gospel endeavor. Prayer requires us to remember that we're not enough, but God is. It requires us to remember that, that every promise that God has made to us is ours through Jesus. And so prayer has that power of working. But it doesn't just work in us. It works in those who we're praying for as well. Especially, and what we'll see today, when that prayer is shared with the people for whom it is prayed. That's what Paul's about to do with the saints at Ephesus. He's going to tell them exactly how he prays for them. He's going to encourage them with that. He's going to say, I pray for you, and this is what it looks like when I do. There's a powerful working in that. What we'll see is that that gospel that informs his prayer that we're about to, to, to look at together, that gospel inspires our gratitude, it informs the way we pray, it enlightens our lives, and it, it fills us up to the point of, of overflowing. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we 
have not, please give us your rich grace. We make this request in the name of Jesus. Amen. These verses that we're about to look at, and, and J.C. read a portion of them for us, are a gospel expose. They really are. They, are they, they highlight the truth of the gospel in a very uh, explicit, concise, beautiful way. But more than that, or in addition to that, it's Paul giving the saints at Ephesus a window into how he spends his time when he's not with them, praying for them. What I hope we'll see today is twofold. We'll be encouraged by the gospel, but we'll also be encouraged by the example of, of Paul as he prays. That we'll be reminded of the truth of the gospel. That's for us. That will fill us up today. But we'll also look at this example and say, hey, we should be people of prayer who are praying for others and beyond that, sharing those prayers with them. Paul begins in verse 15, but I'll lead us to 16 first because I want us to see that there's two parts to his prayer. The first part is a prayer of gratitude, gospel gratitude. The second part of the prayer is a prayer for gospel revelation. But he starts with a thankful heart. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says that to the saints at Ephesus, I pray for you ceaselessly. That means a consistent part of Paul's life. And, and we have very little insight into... Did I, look, did I go out? I need new batteries. Nope, I'm back on. What? Am I? Your prayers were answered. See? Immediately, too. That was what we were talking about. Whatever, man. I don't understand it. But there it is. That's right. It's pretty funny. No, that's a cry. See, I thought it was a laugh, but it was, it was tears of... She was the one rooting for it to be out, the microphone to be out. Dang it. All right. So he's saying that when I pray, I pray with a thankful heart for you. So we can imagine Paul, however he did it, day by day, he's praying for the saints at Ephesus. He's praying for the saints in Philippi. He's praying for the saints in Corinth. He's praying for them with a thankful heart. And the, the reason that he's thankful is gospel-informed. He starts verse 15 for this Reason, which points us back to everything we saw. What's going on? Can't do it. Is that good? There we go. Okay, now we'll see. If it quits again, then the, whoever's listening on the recording will just have to be, be out of luck because I'm not fixing it again. That's it, okay? So when he prays, it's informed by the gospel. He says, for this reason, and he's citing all 14 verses that came before this, talking about our gospel inheritance, talking about our gospel DNA, talking about our gospel story, and it's been rich and beautiful. And he says, because of all of this, because of all this gospel reality that belongs to the children of God, I'm thankful. And in particular, I'm thankful for the saints at Ephesus because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His orientation of thankfulness or the reasons for his thankfulness, one is vertical, one is horizontal. The first is vertical, their relationship, their faith in the Lord Jesus. The first reason for Paul's 
prayer of gratitude is their faith. Their vertical relationship inspires His vertical gratitude. When you pray, thank God for saving those whom He has saved. That's the example Paul's giving. He is thanking God that these saints at Ephesus have come to faith in, in Jesus. So when you pray, pray that. Thank God if you have kids who are uh, believers, who have come to faith in Christ, thank God for that. If you have a spouse or uh, a parents or siblings or neighbors who have come to faith in Jesus, thank God for that. Not just once, again and again. Paul is consistently saying, God, thank you for saving these folks. He's thankful for the saving work of God. But then he also has this horizontal aspect to his thankfulness. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, vertical, and your love towards all the saints, horizontal. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's heard the gossip. The rumor mill is firing on all cylinders about the saints in Ephesus. People are talking about them behind their back. And when they do, they say, man, they love each other. And not just each other at Ephesus, but all the saints. Their love for the people of God extends beyond their small church, beyond their town, to all the saints. By the way, here's a, an example of godly gossip. I hate gossip, but yet I gossip. So I'm not throwing anybody else under the bus, but I'll throw my, well, I'm throwing all of us under the bus. Stop it. Stop it. I'm serious. Like, let's stop it. Let's stop talking about people behind their backs in ways that are hurtful and harmful and, and drag their name and their reputation through the mud together with me, a guilty one. Stop it. Please, may God give us the grace to, to stop. And that's a rabbit trail. But, but listen, godly gossip, here's the question. When you talk about people behind their backs, does what you say about them make people want to get on their knees and thank God for them? That's the only type of gossip that should be happening. The kind of gossip that when people hear it about whoever you're talking about, there's honor. And the other children of God say, man, I'm so thankful that they're part of God's family. I'm so thankful for their love and kindness towards other people. That should be what our gossip looks like. So Paul has gratitude for their faith and, and for their love. Might that be the testament of Mercy Village Church? That we believe in Jesus and we love other people. It's not that complex. It's hard. It's difficult to live that kind of life. But it's not complex. It's very simple. Love God through Jesus and love people. That's what we're called to. Paul celebrates that in the lives of the Ephesians church. So note the example again. Because not only are we hearing gospel truth, but we're watching Paul do something. He's praying. Might we be people who pray? And when he prays, he prays with a thankful heart. Might we pray not just for the things that we need, although definitely pray for the things that you need. But may we also pray with thankful hearts for what God has already given us and what God has already done. And thirdly, and this is, I think, such a crucial part and would be so beautiful if it was true about the body of Christ at Mercy Village Church, he shares it with the people he's praying for. 
He tells them about it for the encouragement of their hearts and for the gladness of their souls. Not only is he praying thankful for what has been and and what is true about the church at Ephesus, but he's also praying for something that will be true about them. He wants it to be true about them. He says, when I remember you in my prayers, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. It's not just a prayer of gratitude, it's a prayer for enlightenment. He says, I'm thankful that you know Jesus and you're experiencing Jesus, that you've seen Jesus and you're loving other people, but I'm also prayerful that that continues. That this isn't just something that is here today and gone tomorrow, but that you continue to be have your eyes open to the truth about who God is and who Jesus is. And only God can pull off that enlightenment. Only God can open our eyes to that reality. And do you see the Trinity in there, if you're paying close attention? God, God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They're all there. The work of God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is to open our eyes to the realities of the Gospel. And He's the only one that can open our eyes to it. And so that's who Paul prays to. He doesn't say, man, I've got to get you guys into a good school so you can learn a lot about God. Nothing wrong with seminary. Nothing wrong with, with furthering your education, however you would do that. But God has to open your eyes. So that's what he prays for. And he says in three, kind of three categories here. First of all, see this. This is who God is. He reveals deep and hidden things. Only God can do that. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. God is light, and therefore is the only one who can enlighten. And what... Paul wants them to see are four things. He wants them to know the hope. He wants them to understand the inheritance. He wants them to recognize the power. And he wants them to see Jesus. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The word here is is el peace. Now, I don't know Greek, but I can read a commentary and, and I can butcher Greek words when I try to pronounce them. But I know what it means. The word is a... Feeling of hope, this is what it encompasses. A feeling of hope, an object of hope, and a foundation of hope. Total hope. Not just hope as a feeling, but hope as an object. We see Jesus as the object of our hope, and Jesus as the foundation for our hope. And only there does that feeling of hope come to us through Jesus. Total hope. And you're going to need that kind of total hope because we're going to suffer. We're going to have times we don't want to hope. We don't feel like hoping. Paul talks about that in Romans. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's stupid. But he explains why. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, real hope, total hope. Hope does not put us to shame Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's the hope he wants for the people of God. That their eyes will be open to hope that lasts through suffering, hope that lasts through turmoil, hope that lasts through cancer diagnosis and lost jobs. And uh, there's a family that locally that lost a child weeks back. The kind of hope that sustains through that. Paul says, may your eyes be open that you have that kind of hope in Jesus. 
May you also be open to see the under, understand your inheritance. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, we spent two weeks on this, so I'm not going to flesh it out except just to read the list. I'm going to read it to you of the things we've seen are our inheritance. We're already blessed by God, chosen by God, graced by God, beloved by God, redeemed by God, forgiven by God. There's some things that we already have in part. We're holy and blameless before God. He sees us as righteous because of Jesus. We're adopted children of God, not yet fully inheriting what he has for us, but we, but we begin to inherit it already, bringing glory to God, not perfectly, but our lives still at times are bringing glory to God. We're enjoying part of our inheritance and promised to us in the future, complete holiness, complete blamelessness, eternal life with God, full enlightenment to know all truth. And last week we saw the whole world, the whole universe, all the promises of God belong to the children of God. That is your inheritance. And Paul prays, might your eyes be open to see that. Might you know the hope. Might you understand the inheritance. And three, might you recognize the power. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now, the verses that follow this are going to kind of flesh out that power because that power is seen in Jesus. So we're going to observe the power in the remaining verses. But know this, Jesus is the power. Jesus is all these things. He's the hope, he's the inheritance, he's the power. And in this life, you're going to have plenty of reasons to feel hopeless. In this life, you're going to have plenty of reasons to feel broke, like you don't have any inheritance. You're going to have Plenty of reasons to feel powerless. But Paul's prayer for the saints at Ephesus, my prayer for us, is that we'll know the hope, even when we feel hopeless. That we'll understand the inheritance, even when we feel broke. And that we'll recognize the power that is ours in Jesus. And that that's in Jesus. See, that's the fourth thing that Paul prays for that they would see Jesus. That they would see that the power of the gospel comes through Jesus, that he worked in Christ, that hope in Christ, that inheritance in Christ, that power in Christ. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. That's Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The promise of hope became flesh and dwelt among us. The promised inheritance became flesh and dwelt among us. The power of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And He lived. Flesh and blood. Born in Bethlehem. Raised in Nazareth. And He died. Jesus, the very Son of God, in human skin and bodily form, went to the cross. And there he died for you and me. They put those nails into his hands and his feet. Blood spilled out. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, washes away all of our sins by grace through faith. And you can have faith today because, just like this verse just told us, he raised from the dead. Three days later, he arose in power. 
And now he sits in the throne room of heaven right next to God the Father interceding for his kids. When you sinned this week, child of God, Jesus was sitting there right next to God the Father saying, hey, I died for that sin. No shame, no condemnation. It's under the blood. That's a gospel reality that is yours today. He sits at the right hand of God and he's above every law and he's above every lawgiver. He's above every authority, no matter how powerful they might seem. He's above every influencer. Everybody, whether that's social media influence or social justice influence or political influence, he's above them all. He's more influenced than, than anyone, every organization or government, and above every name. And this isn't a temporary scenario. It's for this age and also for the age to come. That's hope, eternal hope. That's inheritance, eternal inheritance. That's power, bought with blood, sealed with the Holy Spirit, held fast by the Father. That's the fullness of God. And that's where it ends. That's where chapter 1 ends, with the fullness of God. Verse 22 talks to the supremacy of, of Jesus. He put all things under his feet like a footstool, right? Like the universe is so small in comparison to the supremacy of Jesus that it's just like a little, like an armoire, whatever they call it. It's not an armoire, whatever those are called. See, I'm an idiot. But a footrest for him. Ottoman, that's what it is. Yes. There you go. It's just got to come up into the brain and click. God's power, his supremacy is so great that the universe is his footstool. And not only that, but he's head over all things uh, to the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and since he's the head of the church, we are his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The last verse of chapter 1 reminds us of the fullness of God. It's about gospel Fullness. Pleroma is the word for fullness. Ooh, what a smart person. Pleroma. But what it means matters more than the fact that I know what it is. It's completeness. Absolute, full measure of filling. That which fills up all the content is Jesus. Everything that is God, the very fullness of his eternality, his all-sufficiency, his immeasurable beauty is contained in Jesus. And because it's contained in Jesus and we are his body, the church, we embody the fullness of Jesus. R.C. Sproul puts it like this. Christ fills the universe. Okay, this is heady, but this it's how big he is. It's how great he is. It's how powerful he is. He fills the universe because he himself is the pleroma, the fullness of God. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And since Jesus permeates the whole scope of his dominions, which are all dominions, out of that fullness, he draws to himself the church. You've been drawn, drawn into the family of God by the fullness of God. He opened your eyes. He said, man, he's beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. And through faith, you came into the church. And so in a secondary sense, in a very real secondary sense, the church participates in the blessing of being linked to the one in whom resides all fullness. As you go out from this place today, you carry with you the fullness of God. 
made he feel us up and spill out of us to one another, the body of Christ, in our community groups and in the times where we meet each other throughout the week. And might he spill out into our world around us. He already is. I see evidence of it over and over again as you guys live and love the people of this community and live and love one another. That's the fullness of God spilling out of you into the lives of others. The church is only filled if Jesus fills it. But when he fills it, it becomes his fullness to one another and to the world and to God's glory. That's the prayer. And that's chapter 1 of Ephesians. Paul prays, thanking God for them knowing Jesus and loving others. And and then he prays that, that this will continue. And that's my prayer for us. That we'll love Jesus and we'll love other people. And that won't just be for today, but it'll be for the rest of our lives till our final breath. God will graciously keep opening our eyes further and further to the realities of His beauty. Filling us up with the fullness of God. And that'll spill out of us until we take our final breath. For the glory of God, for the good of our community and for for one another. You can get in on this if you're not a Christian. If you came in here today and, and you would say, I, I'm, I've never come to faith in Jesus. I wouldn't call myself a Christian. John 1.12 says, To all who received Him, who, who by faith believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You can be part of the fullness today. If you have any questions about what it means to, quote-unquote, believe on Jesus, to become a Christian, please talk to me. I would love to have that conversation with you today. And child of God, simple application. Be filled and be full. The gospel that informs Paul's prayer today is more than enough to fill you up. So be filled. Sticking with the the example of prayer this week, here's the homework, son. Take maybe verses 17 through 21. They're pretty rich with gospel realities that are true about us. Pray that for yourself. That prayer that, that God would open up the eyes of His people to the, to the inheritance and to the, and to the power and, and to the, the realities of Jesus. Pray that for yourself. you got five minutes, maybe right after you wake up, just open up your Bible and, and, and read through those things and pray them for yourself. That you would be filled by those realities. Hope, inheritance, power, Jesus. And then be full. There, there's this uh, fountain that's since broke. It's like one of those little ones you plug in to a side. It sits on our porch still because we're the clampets and we haven't thrown it away. It's got three tiers. And when the top one fills up, the water spills over down into the next one. And then that one fills up and it spills over down into the next one and then down into the basins, which fills up and no longer pumps the water back to the, does the process again. Be full. And spill over. Spill over into the lives of others. And, and we'll do that through prayer. So the, the, the ways I want to see us spill over this week, the way I'm going to seek to spill over this week is, is pray for somebody and then share with somebody that you're praying for them. Simple. Pray for somebody this week and then share with them that you're praying for them. Uh, my wife and her friend Anne. Uh, we actually support the ministry that Ann does in, in Uganda, uh, Alpha Girl Care Uganda. 
they have these matching baskets and they've written on these little slips of paper all these names and different prayer requests for the world and for each other and for uh, Uganda and West Virginia, etc. And we have that basket sits next to the bed and about four or five mornings a week we pull that thing out and, and Sarah Beth and I will grab a couple pieces of paper out of there and then we'll, we'll pray for those things. Your names are in that basket. Many of you have been prayed for this week by name. I don't care how you get there. I don't care what your system is. Maybe you tape some names in your Bible. Maybe you get an app. There's probably an app you can get for your phone that does this. Pray this week. Pray for somebody. Start with your family. Pray for them. Pray for the family of God here. This place. Maybe you're on a ministry team and you've got a list of names that come every month on an email schedule. Pray for those people. Uh, we be prayerful this week for somebody. Prayers of thanks and prayers for ongoing openness to the gospel. And then tell somebody. Don't just pray and then sit on it. Text somebody. Tell them that you're praying for them. Call somebody up when you see them out and about. Tell them that you're praying for them. That's encouraging. Better yet, tell them what you're praying, right? God, help them to stop being such a loser. I prayed for you today that you wouldn't be a loser. Do better than that. But, that, but seriously, tell somebody what it is you're praying for. And better yet, do what the McGann's did. If you're with somebody this week and they need prayer, put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them right there. How weird would that be, right? That'll make it awkward real quick. But you know what else it'll do? I promise you this. I promise you this. It will speak to them. It will be the presence of God, the fullness of God spilling out of you to them. So let's pray this week. Let's pray for each other and let's tell each other we're praying. The gospel inspires our gratitude. It informs our prayers. It enlightens our lives and it fills us up to the point of overflowing. And prayer is a part of that filling. And it's also a part of that overflowing. Pray for one another. Share that with one another. Father, thank you. I, I, I need this sermon so much. I, I just told, confessed that I prayed for a bunch of people in this room, but I didn't tell any of them till now. That doesn't count. So I pray that you will work in me and work in us a desire to pray for each other that's informed by the beauty of the gospel and then a desire to tell each other that we're praying. I pray there'll be a load of text messages and phone calls and interactions this week that are, that are centered around prayers for one another. May that be your gift to us of your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.